Hey guys, I'm Eric McLean. And I'm Kelly Gramlich. It's time to talk some ACC sports. Let's go. Wednesday, everyone, and welcome into the Gramlich and McLean podcast. Eric McLean, we have a great guest today as we continue our off-season podcast, just touring the globe, finding the best people to come on our podcast. I was so inspired by this guy. I was taking notes, as I was with Marty Smith. I was taking notes the whole time because I just feel like there's so much to learn from our guest this week. No question about it. But more importantly, Kelly Gramlich, it is wedding week. Let's freaking go. You're getting married. I'm so jacked up. Congratulations, Nick. Um, <laughs> but I know you, you've just been doing so much. COVID obviously threw you a big curveball, but you guys are here. I know it hasn't happened yet, but the weekend, we're almost there. Are, are you nervous? Are you getting cold feet? Nick, don't listen. <laughs> what, how are you feeling? What, what's, what's going on? Well, the beauty of a COVID wedding is <laughs> that we got married at the courthouse last year. You know what? So, I kind of forgot. You guys have been that's married okay. for like See, 10 that's years. That's kind of what we want. We want people to forget that. But you can't get cold feet when you're already married. You're already married. So you're married. it's just like a big been party. Married. It's basically our year anniversary slash big party. But we're doing the full wedding because we postponed with the old Rona last year. But that's right. just so grateful, Mac. So grateful no that we question. get to do it. And um, without the fear, without the worry of, of COVID, everything's going to be great. So... Very, very excited. That's right. That's right. Well, anyway, we, we are super excited for you guys. We've got a great episode for y'all to listen to. Let's introduce our guest of the week, best-selling author, John Gordon. I promise you guys, this was such a fun episode. And ironically enough, Kelly, we've had a slew of authors back-to-back in Marty and McGee. Now we have a professional author, a guy who writes f- books full-time and is a great keynote speaker, my man, John Gordon. Mac, this must be a sign. It's time for us to write our book. I I was waiting for that sign. I was waiting for that (laughs) sign. John's best-selling books and talks have inspired readers and audiences around the world. His principles have been put to the test by numerous Fortune 500 companies, professional and college sports teams, school districts, hospitals, and nonprofits. He is the author of 23 books, including 10 bestsellers, and five children's books. His books include the timeless classic, The Energy Bus, which has sold over 2 million copies, The Carpenter, which was a top five business book of the year, Training Camp, The Power of Positive Leadership, and The Coffee Bean, to mention a few. John absolutely brings it on this episode, guys. Let's freaking go. All right, John Gordon, my man, welcome into the podcast. It's so great to have you. John, I've got to start by just asking you, when was the first time that you came to Clemson? Because I'm thinking it was 2014, if I remember correctly. Eric, it was actually before that, I believe. Hey, Kelly, how you doing? Great to talk to you all. (laughs) So it was, let's see, 2012. Okay, so my sophomore year. Your dad used the book Training Camp in 2011, I believe, where he talked about best as a standard, and every week he would share one of the characteristics, I was told. And what happened was he was using that book, sharing out of it, and I had no idea. And every day I would turn on, well, every, every Saturday I would turn on the games, and Clemson would be on. I live in Jacksonville, Florida. So Clemson would be on the TV. I started watching the Clemson team, having no idea you all are using some of the principles from training camp, and I'm now rooting for you. 
and I'm <laughs> loving this team. I'm like, I really love these guys. I love Taj Boyd, that quarterback. I love that coach. He has great energy. And I never liked Clemson before in my life. <laughs> I could care less about Clemson. And now I'm watching this team having no idea. Well, at the end of the season, Chad Morris reached out to me and he sent me a, a DM on Twitter. He said, hey, we used your book this year. Would you come speak to the team during training camp next year, 2012? I said, of course. By the way, I've been watching you all. I've become a big fan. I said, I'll come, but Dabo's got to read the energy bus. If you have Dabo read the oh. energy bus, I'll come. I said, Dabo is the energy bus, but, but that's right. <laughs> and so Dabo reached out. We talked. He said he would read the book. And I remember just walking on that field that first day, arriving and meeting him and feeling like I was home. That's awesome. I love that story. I love it. Yeah, that, that's incredible. And we're going to talk about a lot of your books. We're going to talk about your journey. Um, but let's start at the beginning. And I was literally just saying this to Mac before you popped on our chat here. You played lacrosse at Cornell. You have a master's in teaching from Emory. And now you are this author. You are a public speaker. You're a motivational speaker, all these things. How does one get from that to where you are right now? Well, I was a government economics major, which is really interesting Ooh. because <laughs> I haven't used my degree much at all, really. Yeah. <laughs> I majored in lacrosse at Cornell. I have to admit That's that, right. too. That's right. We know about that. I, mean, I did go to class, but lacrosse was definitely my priority, no doubt about that. Uh, kids, study. Do your schoolwork. But I, I left Cornell, and afterwards, I moved to Atlanta and moved out there with just a car a dream and wanted to create my life. So I made my way south, got a job waiting tables, then I got a job bartending, then I opened up a bar in Buckhead at 24 years old, got my master's in teaching, started a nonprofit called the Phoenix Organization. We raised money for youth-focused charities, ran for city council because I wanted to put my government degree to use, lost the election, went door-to-door -to, -door to 7,000 houses, went to law school for a year and a half, Dropped out after a year and a half, which is the hardest time. I actually went through the hardest time, but said, this is not for me. Went to go work for a dot-com. Thought I was going to make my gazillions, but the dot-com crashed like a lot of companies did during that time. This was around 2000, 2001. My wife and I decided to move to Jacksonville, Florida. We brought our, our kids there. So we, well, we wouldn't, we leave them in Atlanta. So we brought them with us and we moved to Jacksonville, Ponte Vedra Beach. And now we're living there and I lose the dot-com job. Don't know what the future holds. My life is falling apart. Everything is crumbling. And it was in that moment where I said, what am I born to do? Why am I here? Because I'm miserable. I'm negative. My wife's about to leave me. I've got to change. And honestly, writing and speaking came to me in that moment. It really was a spiritual, divine God moment where I said, God, why am I here? What am I born to do? And writing and speaking literally came to me. And I said, all right, I'm going to do that. I was about... 31, 32 years old, and began that journey of writing and speaking. How about that? That's, that's an incredible journey. And, and John, you talk about you know writing and, and talking to so many different people. We're, Kelly's going to list it out there because she's got an interesting question kind of towards the end. But you've written 23 books, 10 of which you know bestsellers. And I want to talk about a couple of them here. I, I think I've read at least not all of them page to page, at least some form or fashion of all of your books. Uh, and some of my favorite, like I, I want to talk about the energy bus is, is number one. It, it was something that, you know, Coach Sweeney, back when I played, introduced to our team and said, hey, I want everybody to read this, which it sounds like Coach Morris was instructed to make him read it. <laughs> and then he passed it along. But it was it was life changing, similar to, to what you just said in your story is is just 
the power of positivity and, and not being an energy vampire is something that we all control. We might not be able to control everything that's going around out here, but we can control us. And I mean, it just, it set me up to who I am today and, and really helped model my way of thinking and, and the fact that I control my attitude. So really, I just want to ask you what it went into that book. How did you come up with it? I mean, it's a, it's a great one. Everybody, if you're listening, you, you need to check it out because it's that good of a resource. Well, that was my first book. And what happened was when I decided I want to write and speak, I literally gave about 80 free talks, went everywhere and anywhere. A lot of people said no, even though it was free. <laughs> I was willing to, to do any talk to any team, any company, any group. And this was around, again, 2003, 2004, then 2005, trying to make a name for myself, getting out there. Got in the restaurant business. So I opened up a Moe's Southwest Grill in Jacksonville. I was the first Moe's in Jacksonville, the fifth in the entire country. So really early on in that company, second mortgaged our home, $20,000 in credit cards, not knowing if the restaurant would make it or not. And if it didn't make it, we were done. But my goal was to open up the restaurant that would allow me the time to write and speak. And so I got the restaurant going, finally made a profit after almost going bankrupt. We were pretty close to going bankrupt. Scary time. I'll never forget that. But somehow, some way we made it. Then I said, okay, I'm going to start giving these talks and give a lot of free talks, learn the craft a little bit, still wasn't very good. And I sold the restaurants, 2005. I said, I'm going to focus 100% on writing and speaking and not knowing if it was going to make it or not. My wife said, you know, what happens if it doesn't work? I said, there are no other, there are no other options. Like we have to go for it. And so I went for it. So now the money's drying up that I made from selling the restaurants and not sure Am I going to have to get a job? Is this really going to work? I'm walking. I'm praying one day. And the idea for the energy bus just comes to me on this walk, like a lightning strike. And so I go back to my home office and I start writing this book. I never wrote a fable before, but I wanted to write a fable because I was inspired by fables by Ken Blanchard, the one minute manager, Richard Bach, Jonathan Livingston Siegel, illusions, old books that inspired me. And so I said, okay, I'm going to write a fable. And I started writing this book. I wrote it in three and a half weeks. Wow. It was rejected by over 30 publishers, though. Found an agent. She pitched it. Rejection after rejection after rejection. Thinking my dream is, uh, is not going to happen. And finally, I got a call from, from, from my agent. John Wally and Sons wanted to publish the book. They agreed to publish it. And they, they agreed to publish it. Six months later, it came out. And so I began this journey of... of you know, writing more and more books, but that was the first one. It was right rejected, didn't do well initially. Bookstores wouldn't even carry it. So you have this book that you want to make a difference and bookstores won't even carry it. I go on a 28 city tour, paid for myself to, to share the message in the book, do the work, right? So I learned a lot as an athlete. I mean, was, I was a lacrosse player. I was a football player. Actually was going to go to college, be able to play football, chose to play lacrosse instead. But I was an athlete. I knew about rejection. I knew I was often told I wasn't good enough or big enough or you know whatever it may be. And I had to fight for my starting position all the time. And I had to do the same thing with this book, right? Get it out there, spread the word. I went on a 28 city tour, paid for it by myself. Publisher wouldn't even pay for it. And five people in one city, 10 people in another, <laughs> 20 in another. The most people we had were 100 people. In Des Moines, Iowa, they thought Jeff Gordon was coming. That's why they Oh, should. no. <laughs> Not a joke. True, oh, no. <laughs> true story. 
And so that was my first book, The Energy Bus. And, and the tour didn't go well, came home, didn't know what the future held, but I knew I had to share this message every single day and just live and breathe it. Eventually the tour led to speaking gigs, even though a few people were there and led to gigs. Then bookstores started carrying the book. Jack Del Rio read it. Mm. He brought me to speak to the Jaguars in 2007, right after the book came out. So now I speak to the team. Maurice Jones-Drew was a rookie that year. Speak to the team. They make it to the playoffs, beat the Steelers in the first round. If you remember that game, it was an epic game. Go to play the Patriots in the conference uh, championship. But that was a really cool moment to see this team that I spoke to have an impact. And after that, coaches started reading the book, sharing it around. Wow. Mike Smith became the head coach of the Atlanta Falcons. He brought the book and me to the Falcons. So I started working with them when Matt Ryan was a rookie. And that began my career doing this work. It was pretty wild when I look back and think about it, right? Georgia was the first, um, well, the second team I spoke to, I spoke to, I spoke to Texas Longhorns. Colt McCoy was a senior and they brought me to speak to that team the year they went to the national championship and played Alabama. Oof, don't remind me. I grew up <laughs> a Texas whole- fan. If Colt stays healthy, if Colt stays healthy, right. they win that game. They win that game, right? So, so I got, and so next thing you know, then I go speak to Georgia and Mark Rick turns around a season. They start out with uh, 0-2. They win the next 10 games in a row, make it to the SEC championship game. We did the energy bus. And then a couple years later, I get a call from, from, uh, from Dabo. And it was funny because I was with these other teams. Here I am with Texas. Well, Dabo just gets the job at Clemson. Think about it. Texas is the juggernaut. Clemson, Dabo's just beginning to build. So I don't even think about Clemson. I'm with Texas. And then several years later, <laughs> I now get to work with Clemson and Dabo and begins this relationship and journey that quite honestly has changed my life in many ways for the, for the better. Anyone who works with Dabo, you know, gets better. And he has impacted me in so many ways and being with that team and you, Eric, and all the great players on that team have, have impacted me. So the minute I walked on Clemson campus, I was like, I love this place. Like, I feel at home here. It reminded me a lot of Cornell because Cornell has a lot of hills and it's, Cornell's an ag school. So there's a lot of similarities. Just one's more north and cold. Right. And Clemson. <laughs> and Ivy League, but whatever. Yeah, and a lot That's of nice. Right. Well, Clemson's the Ivy League of, 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 of the, the South. South. Of That's course. what they say. South, right? The Ivy League of football schools. We'll That's right. <laughs> well, I want to talk about the coffee bean because – I really was alerted to that because, speaking of Clemson, Dabo used, started wearing the shirt everywhere. And he would right. wear it like to practice and he'd wear it in media availability. And so it started getting me interested in like, what is this analogy and, and what does it stand for? So when you come up with something like that with the coffee bean and the analogy that you have in that book, like where does that come from? Because that, is that something that just came to you as well? No. So, you know, as a writer, ideas will come to you and sometimes, you know, those are the most special things, right? Like energy bus training camp came after speaking to the Atlanta Falcons and I'm driving to the airport in a car. They got a driver taking me and I'm in the back seat, and bam, I literally see the words training camp. I have an idea of a coach and a player and the coach changes the player's life and their impact. And it's about excellence. And I get start to get these ideas and I start to script it out and frame, write a framework for what the book's going to be. So that's happens there. Coffee bean. I'm at Clemson. Again, an impact on my life. I'm about to speak. And Dabo tells me about this guy, Damon West, who just came to Clemson and spoke about the coffee bean. So this is his idea. But Damon learned about the coffee bean in prison when he was sentenced for 65 years in prison. He gets out in seven. Dabo's the first and only coach initially to give him a chance to speak to his team, to tell his story. 
to help his players. To talk about how he overcame drug use and meth and burglarizing homes and comes out a different person. Now he wants to serve. He's got a very compelling story. So Dabo tells me, hey, we just had this guy, Damon Westby. And he talked about the carrot, the egg, and the coffee bean. And you know Dabo, he starts getting animated and literally starts giving, like this, <laughs> starts giving me the speech of Damon West. See, and he's telling me the whole speech, like for 30 minutes, he's telling me the talk as he's going through it. Eric knows because he's laughing because Dabo <laughs> just starts giving the That's talk. That's right. <laughs> and it's like, and, and it's so great. And I'm like, what a great analogy. Because one of the messages to Clemson early on as they started their journey with the college football playoffs, Eric, if you remember when I came up there, it was inside out. We don't create the world outside in, we create it inside out. Focus on the inside, not the noise, not the expectations, not the media. Just focus on you, inside out. And so that was a big message I shared with Clemson. So I was always sharing the inside out message. Well, then the coffee bean came around, and that is the ultimate inside out analogy to explain that principle. So when I heard Dabo say it, right then and there I had a vision for a book called The Coffee Bean. I saw it. I saw a cover, and I knew I needed to reach out to Damien West to do it with him. I reached out to Damon. He said, John, you can do this yourself. I said, no, no, I really believe we're supposed to do it together. Let's do it together. I just had this feeling that we were, and it's been an incredible partnership. So that's where the idea came from. Carrot, egg, coffee bean. How about that? And just to kind of dive into folks who, again, haven't read that, you're going you're gonna to want to read these three books that we're talking about right here. They, all of them are great, but these three are, are super special to me. But the coffee bean, when you, when you look at life and, and it, think of life as this pot of water and you, you can either be a carrot, which what does a carrot do when it's in hot water? It softens, you know, kind of gets changed by the element. An egg, it hardens and you can kind of be, you know, a, a mean person or something like that. Or you can be the coffee bean and you can affect your environment. When you put coffee in water, it spreads and it changes everything around it. So I love that book. I love the story. Uh, the fact that, it, you know, just it, it's it's all about transforming your environment. And again, we talked about that with the energy bus, you know, controlling what you can. It's just, it's a special book and, and I love it. The third one that I have here for you, John, is training camp. I think another one, when I talk about level of impact, I mean, really, Energy bus is up there, and then training camp is another one because of you know the story, obviously, and, and loving the the you know the the similarities that it has with what I did every each and every day, but also just the fact that you go through what the best of the best do, and you had eleven characteristics on there, eleven traits of what the best do. I want to really just hone in on four here, and let's just kind of go through them, and we can talk or, or whatever you want to do. But the best wanted more. I, I think that that was it's number two on the list. It's number one for me because I think it's just something where you, you know what you want, you know how to get it, you want it more than everybody else, and you'll do anything to kind of get there. So I got a little ahead of myself. How did you figure out these 11? How many interviews did you do? How many people did you talk to to really find these, these traits? Well, first, Eric, I love the way you shared about the coffee bean. I think you could actually be a speaker here. I think you could actually. <laughs> come on. I I've taken some tips and, and uh, noticed the speakers that we've come in. And, and man, you're one of them. You're, you're one of the best ever. So I appreciate it. No, I love that. You could definitely do that. So training camp was, you know, what the best do better. I want to talk about and write about what separated the best from the rest. What are these patterns of greatness? Because in talking to all these different people, interviewing them in their fields and their craft, they all shared the same characteristics. What were they? Now, I distilled it down to 11. I'm sure there's more. 
But 11 for me is a, a number I share in most of my books. 11 this, 11, 11 is the number of the energy bus. Martin wears number 11 in training camp. And so for me, 11 is a number that I try to weave throughout my work. And so I picked 11 for that book and the 11 characteristics fit really well. And when we talk about wanting a more, yes, you can talk about it, but you have to act on it. And so actions have to speak louder than words. And so when they wanted more, the best, they're willing to do the work, right? Everybody wants to do what the great ones do, but very few are willing to do what they did to become great. You've got to be willing to take action. You have to be willing to do the work that greatness requires. And so the best wanted more, not just in words, but in deeds. And that's very different. And we know, right? We know people who rise to the top of their craft are willing to do the work in any field and they have this desire to be great. Some talk about greatness, some act to become great. Yeah, and that goes hand in hand with with my number two here is that the best do the ordinary things better than everyone else. And I think that's, if you're looking at an athlete, it's the way you watch film, it's the way you prepare. If you look at it from being a, a husband or a wife, it's how intentional you are with your spouse, a father, how intentional you are with your children. So to be the best, we have to do the small things, the little things, the ordinary things, and we have to do it better. Was there an example that you you know, found in your research or is there a person that stands out to you most that, man, they do those ordinary things above and beyond? Well, so many, I mean, we know, we know Tom Brady, right? He's not the greatest athlete, but he does the ordinary things. Dame Lillard, you know, if you look at Damian Lillard, he read training camp twice before his rookie season, he told me, to remind himself how hard he would have to work to make it in the NBA. It's why he wrote a quote for the back cover, right? He talked about that early on, that he had to take his game to the next level. He was good, but he wanted to be great at the next level. And as a basketball player, you work on your shot, you work on your handle, you work on your dribble. It's the little things. Everyone thinks success is about the big things. No, it's the little things that you do every day to be great. It's the salesperson who makes one more call every single day. Consistency is definitely underestimated. We don't realize how important consistency is. Just showing up every day and being consistent will take you really far. We, we may not love Alabama because we're Clemson fans, but I interviewed Nick Saban not too long ago. And one thing I realized in talking to Nick and then talking to some of the people who coach for him, the guy is so consistent and he gets that team to be consistent. And because he is so consistent, he earns the trust of his players. So even though there are times they don't like him, they still trust him because he's so consistent. So it's the consistency that is, that is key to be great leader and also to be a great performer. Yeah, no question about it. The, the next one here, which was my number three, is that the best tap into a power greater than themselves. Now, I think the three of us here are, are strong uh, Christian folks, and, and that means one thing to us. But I guess just what all, does, what all goes into this for you, and, and what did you really mean by tapping into a greater power? Well, it really is about faith. And training camp is a story of a guy who has to overcome his fear, find his faith to be all that he's meant to be. And that's the journey we all need to go on. Fear is the one thing that will keep us from our destiny. It's what holds people back. And faith moves us towards our destiny. And so does love. And so does hope, faith, love, and hope, right? We need all three of those. But fear, too many people give up because of fear. Too many people out fear of the moment or worried about failure or not meeting expectations. So what happens? They fear the moment instead of rising to the occasion. But when you have faith and you trust and you know there's a greater power that's guiding you, 
and you surrendered that greater power, you're now filled with a greater faith and energy and power to actually move through that moment, thrive in that moment and succeed. And so I don't care what someone believes, every addiction program, every addiction program believes in a higher power because every addiction program understands that the self is not strong enough on their own. Our will is not great enough. We all need to tap into a greater power. I just happen to call that power Jesus. That's right. <laughs> and, it, and it's that, and I believe that's the power that, that there's only one source of power that takes your brokenness, takes your burden, takes your pain and heals you from the inside out. That's why I believe in it. I wasn't always a believer. I became a believer at 35, 36 years old, changed my life. I was baptized as a, as a man, as an adult. So it changed my life. So I can speak from experience, someone who didn't believe, and someone who has, has, has come to believe and experienced that belief and seen what that faith has done in my life. But it's not a religion to me. It's a relationship with God, the creator of the universe that, that changes you from the inside out. So, so that faith, that power heals you, restores you, energizes you, and gives you the true confidence to perform at a high level and also go after your dreams. And I believe that's why so many times we see athletes when they perform on stage or even when they make a mistake, they're still giving credit to God because they know they didn't get their loan because every athlete, every striver, every performer, everyone who's stri striving to be great at something will come to a point where they realize they are not strong enough on their own. And they know that a greater power carried them. And you can tell those people because they have a reverence and a respect and an understanding of the power that helped them along the way. Come on, man. I'm about to run through this wall right in front of me right now. And, and that's so why I, I have a tattoo on my arm that says powerful beyond measure. And, and that's with God. And, and that's because on my own, my, my power is very measurable. My, the numbers that I can do, the, the speed, uh, the, the testing, all that stuff can be measured. But with him, you know, he, he takes us to a place that we can't get by ourselves. So that's why I love this. I love this one on here. The last one that I want to talk about for training camp, uh, and this is something that I tried to be super intentional with when I was young playing basketball and even in my college days, and that's the best make everyone around them better. And I think, again, similar to all of these on this list is we can take that in everyday life and, and the environments that we're in, the workspace that we're in, our relationships with our family and others, we can make everyone else better. But just talk a little bit about this last one for me. Yeah, the best set the standard. They set the bar and they raise the bar at the same time. They show others what greatness looks like. They show others that they can too strive for this. And they raise the bar. So, hey, keep striving. Keep getting better. Keep improving. Eric, you did that for for your fellow teammates, for your underclassmen. They saw you. They learned from you. This is what it's like to be a leader and you made everyone around you better by who you are. Taj Boyd, I think of him. I think of him cleaning up the movie theater yeah. initially, and then everyone else started to clean up the movie theater because yep. Taj did. No question. You guys would always go, you would always go watch a movie on Friday night. He started the process and the tradition of cleaning it up. Next thing you know, everybody else started to stay and clean up. Next thing you know, the whole team did, and now you brought in the blowers and cleaned out the whole theater. As a result of that, you, you all showed, hey, this is excellence. This is what it looks like off the field and on the field. When y'all were in the national championship, I was at the game in Tampa. I was on, I believe it was, yeah, I was on the sidelines and the hotel where you were staying at, I was staying there with the team, hanging out with you guys and being there. Some of the servers came up to me and said, this is the greatest team we've ever had stay with us. Wow. And I don't mean talent wise. They were talking about 
how nice you were, how right. accommodating you were, and how good you were in everything. And so you just followed directions, you cleaned up the place. That lets people know, again, who you are and what you stand for. So everyone has the ability to leave a legacy. We don't have to be Joe Montana, Tom Brady, Taj Boyd to, to leave a legacy. We can all be someone who leaves a legacy in others by how we live and the example that we set for others. So what kind of legacy do you want to leave? I just turned 50. And so when you turn 50, you think, okay, wow, like I'm 50 now. In my 40s, I kept on saying, I'm getting younger, stronger, faster, <laughs> better. Not, maybe not faster, but I was definitely wiser and stronger and better. So I kept on saying that my daughter would say like, dad, you're getting older. I said, no, I refuse to age, Jade, I refuse to age. And so then you turn 50 and you're like, okay, I can't stop the aging, I'm now 50. You reflect on your life and here's what I decided. In the words of the great American philosopher, John Bon Jovi, I'm halfway there living on a prayer. My goal is to go to 100. That's what I wanna do. I wanna Come go on. to 100. <laughs> I wanna leave a legacy for the next 50 years if I can and make an impact in this world. And that's what I wanna focus on. Halfway there, living on a prayer, leave a legacy. That means that I made a difference in someone's life along the way. At the end of the day, I'm gonna die. At the end of the day, 200 years from now, no one may ever hear about my books or ever read one of my books. So what's the purpose of my life? Well, it's to leave an impact in the people right here, right now, and hopefully make a difference in their life. And when I'm gone, I imagine someone will see my kids and they'll see them and they'll say, hey, your dad's book changed my life. Or I saw your dad speak and it impacted me. And that's how I live every day. I wanna encourage the others to live the same way. You don't have to write books to do that. You can impact your children, your team around you, your clients. Every day is an opportunity to impact someone's life. And I believe that's the purpose of life. Come on. The great American philosopher. I love that. <laughs> Maybe that'll be you, John, one day. The great American philosopher. <laughs> that's right. John Gordon. I don't know if I'll hit a, write a hit song like that. Though. Yeah, probably perfect. Okay, you've, you, we've talked about, or you've talked about how you've spoken with a lot of great college football programs. You also have like Southwest Airlines on here and West Point and the Dodgers and all these things. And we know Dabo stands out. You've talked about Dabo. Are there a few other people, maybe one or two people, that when you've spoken with them um, or you've seen how their business runs, they just really stand out to you? There's so many. It's almost like too many to even yeah. think. Right now I'm trying to think of like who would that be because there's so many. Palmetto Health Systems in South Carolina. I mean, in Columbia, I mean, incredible hospital system, just the way they lead in their culture, incredible. I think of, um, you know, Northwestern Mutual, I'm going to speak to them right now, incredible culture and leadership there. Alan Mullally, who turned around Ford, and I wrote about him in my book, Power of Positive Leadership, and how he turned around Ford. I spent time with, with Evan Spiegel from Snapchat, who's the founder and CEO of that, and really watched how he turned around the company using positivity. I had him on my podcast and we, we talked about that. Donna Orinder, former commissioner of the WNBA. And yeah. the WNBA is, is what it is because of her. Like she turned around the WNBA. She believed, well, so many didn't. She thought, no, this can be viable. This can be successful. Others are like, no, no, no. She saw the passion, the coaches and the players and her belief transformed an organization and she deserves a lot of credit for what she has done. So there's so many, but I mean, we're talking principles that I get to meet from different schools around the country, impacting lives every day. I mean, just, 
I, you know, so almost too many to name in terms of like, I'm, I'm getting stuck here. I got to start thinking of like some examples of this next time, but <laughs> you work with so many companies, so many organizations, you meet so many great leaders and it's, it's the blessing of what I get to do because there's a lot of great ones out there. But I have to say, I'm, I want to be honest, Dabo is like the best I've ever seen. Really? And yes. I've worked with a lot and he is incredible. Wow. Well, it's it's kind of like choosing your kids, right? You've you've got all of them. You can't point question. out a favorite. You can't point out a favorite, but it, it's cool to hear those stories. Last question for you, John. Uh, we're super grateful for your time. I, I want to stay on the topic of leadership because you, again, just talked to so many different people, done the research, seen what things work, and and you say that the best that you've talked to in, in kind of Dabo, who who has this almost perfect blend of like authoritarian players, coach, fun guy. And then even a, a, another guy who was more successful, quite frankly, and, and Nick Saban, who, who has won all the championships and on, at least from our point of view, very authoritarian, kind of not dictatorship, but very hard-nosed guy. What, what, what do you see from those two that just click so much better than everywhere else from a, from a result standpoint? There's still great men and, and women out there coaching and leading, but these two, I mean – they're the top in the game and there, there's a reason for it. And I'm sure you've seen why. Definitely love and accountability is the key. Like love and accountability is everything. And that's why you, you mentioned it, just said about Dabo. It's the blend of both, right? He's, people don't realize like he, he, he's, he's tough. He will get on you. As you know, he will hold you accountable. Like he's not just fun and games and laughing all the time. No, Dabo will get on you and he's got a structure and he's got a process but he's likable for most people. He's really likable. And the players know that he cares about you and he loves you as a person, as a human being. So it's the blend of both. I call it love tough instead of tough love. If they know you love them, then you earn the right to challenge them and push them and hold them accountable. And I think that's the key with Dabo. Now, Nick, I believe is more accountability, 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 but because he has so much structure because he has so much consistency. He earns respect and earns trust. Nick Saban's style would not work for everyone because he's had the success. He sort of commands it as Bill Belichick has. But there's something that's likable about Nick Saban too, right? There, there really is. Like, you know that the minute he's talking to you, he smiles. There's going to be something that is going to be likable with the players. So I do believe you have to be likable at some point. You have to know that that coach cares about you at some level. And I believe they, they know that that coach wants to help them get to the NFL. They know Dabo cares about you and wants to help you be the best that you can be, right? Corey Close, my good friend at UCLA, women's basketball coach. I mean, she cares about her players deeply and she, she feels that. So you can see that over and over again in the great coaches. And I work with, again, a lot of phenomenal female coaches, you know, out there and some of the best in the world at what they do. Sherry Cole just retired from Oklahoma and worked with her for years and incredible leader. Kelly, I'm sure knows, knows of her. Tamika Ketchens who played in WNBA and you know, what an amazing leader she's been and how she leads, but everyone they're striving for greatness. They want to be great and they're going to push you and challenge you. But the great ones also have the relationship ability to connect and to love. And I think that's the key. Man, this was so much fun. John, the time has flown by. We're super grateful for you for joining us. And man, it was a blast. So thank you so much for being here today. Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate you both. John Gordon is that dude. 
Mac. Like for real. I mean, it's just incredible the wisdom that comes out of his mouth when he speaks and his books. And I thought it was so cool to have him on because you guys have that relationship. And it's so interesting to see how involved he was with Clemson football. The best is the standard, the coffee bean, all that stuff. And then, of course, he spent a lot of time with Nick Saban. So hearing what he said about Dabo, what he said about Saban, that was really fascinating as a college football fan. It's really cool because John has been in so many different programs, franchises, when when you're looking at pro teams. It's really cool to hear and and to see his research in his books and then to be able to talk to him on this podcast. I, I love training camp. If you guys have not read it, if you need a book to read, go check it out. There's just so many fun nuggets about the best of the best. And it's it's applicable in anything that you do. You don't have to be a football player or a basketball player to do these type of things. I mean, to, to be a husband, a wife, a father, a mother, a sister, a brother, son, daughter, anything. I mean, you can literally take these things, business partner, and apply it to be better than what we are. And I think it was something that you know, when we read this, I believe 2014, 13, um, it just it just really instilled better working habits with me. Talking about the four that we brought up, the best want it more, the best do ordinary things better than others, the best tap into a power greater than themselves, and then the best make everyone around them better. Those are four things that I try to just live life with. And, you know, I, I think it really helps me out. So guys, do yourself a favor, go check out that book. But again, Kelly, John brought it. He was so fun uh, just to talk to and to hear different things. But let's get to a little, uh, let's get to a little this or that. Mac, it is time for this or that, which we do every week here on the podcast. And let's start with, this is a very fun one that you wrote down and I love it. <laughs> we just celebrated July 4th. And uh, my birthday, of course. More important. So, yeah, yeah. So, I've got to know, when you're celebrating, Mac, are you a cupcake guy or a traditional cake guy? I've got to say, Kelly, you know, I I got a little hungry when I was writing this question and and just (laughs) thinking about all the great desserts and and different things. I've got to tell you, I'm more of a cake guy. And this is why, because I think they're beautiful, that they can have a lot of different things going on. You can decorate them really well. And most of the time they're bigger too. So you have that size, you have all those different things. I don't want a teeny little baby cupcake. I want a big slice of cake, maybe multiple. Uh, That's just kind of who I am, what I like to do. How about you? Well, Mac, that makes sense because for you, you know how they sell those mini cupcakes at the grocery store? That's what a normal cupcake looks like in your hand. <laughs> so right. I'm telling you, if ever if you ever meet Eric Macklin on the street, this might sound creepy, but just shake his hand and then ask to measure your hand to his hand. It's very <laughs> shocking, but I've done it. So I get that. I am also a cake person. I think a cupcake, you know, cupcakes have their advantages. They're very portable. You can bring them for a big group. You can decorate them differently, whatever. But in the end, the, the cupcake is limited in what it can bring. And I had both this past weekend. So I, I'm really good, really good person to judge this. I just, I need a good solid piece of cake. There you go. That's why this podcast is so successful. We agree on a lot of different things. This, this one right here, Kelly, I, I'm actually very interested in this, this or that. Uh, because obviously we're offensive people. But this question has none of the glory that comes with offense. Would you rather be an offensive lineman or a defensive lineman, Kelly? If you could choose and you could dominate, you could be the best of either. Okay. Which one would you be? Hmm. 
This is a really good question, Mac. Which one, if I had to choose and I could dominate on either side, you're going to hate me for this. I'm going to go D-line strictly because, okay, because I feel like if you're on the offensive line, you, you could argue you are more important than your average member of the D-line, just depending. But as a defensive lineman, and this may show my true colors, you get the glory. Like, you get to sack guys. You don't get to do that as an offensive lineman. You know, that's a stat I get to write down next to my name. But you get to stop them from making the sacks. Come on, Kelly. See, it's the problem. Like, the only time people notice the O-line is when they mess up. We've talked about this. The D-line, you have so many other chances for glory. Like, sacking a quarterback, that has to be an amazing feeling. So, sorry, Mac. Don't hate me. I don't hate you because, in fact... I would also be no. a defensive end. I would love to to go back, do things different. No, I'm just kidding. But I would like to be a defensive end. Maybe you know my children and their future there you go. Uh, there you defensive go. linemen. Because all the things you just mentioned, you get to celebrate after every play. You could have done nothing on that play, been near the tackle, and you can get up, dance, and guess what? ESPN's going to zoom in on you, right. and you're going to be famous. So uh, I'm with you. I, I want the glory. I want to celebrate. I want to have fun. Offensive line, it sucks, guys. Do not ever play it. Don't let your kids play it. It's one of the hardest positions ever. So just avoid that. Just imagine, Mac, if you, like, after you guys blocked really well, and this was a solid 12-yard pickup on the ground. Like, imagine if you dogpiled or something. People would look at you like you're crazy. And we'd be very tired and not want to do that. You're just like, I got to get back to the line. I (laughs) got to do this again. again. We got to do the same thing over and over again. Um, All right, let's move on to the secret question. This is always fun because, again, guys, Kelly has no clue. She doesn't get to uh, prepare these elaborate answers and tell me about why cupcakes stink and cake is great. Uh, So for this one, we're we're, we're taking some inspiration from our great friend, John Gordon. And I've got to know, would you rather write a book or direct a movie? Oh, man. Both of these are like award-winning. So like the top of the top. Again, this isn't like, you know, Mm. mediocrity at all. I love how every time you give a question, you say, you are the best. Like the D-line, O-line question. I mean, I just... Let's be clear. You you are very good on either side. (laughs) Which I... Look, that's... The best is a standard. Best is a standard. That's right. Okay. It's always been... This is going to get real. It's always been a little bit of a dream of mine in the back of my head to write a book. I have so much respect for people that write books. I can't imagine the work that goes into writing a book. So, and I'm not trying to suck up to John Gordon, who was awesome coming onto our podcast. And I'm sure directing a movie is hard. I, this is going to sound bad, and I know nothing about movies. I'm not really sure what a director does. Like, you just tell people what to do. You tell them where to stand. But the actors make the movie. I know I know nothing. But I would say write a book. <laughs> All right, our first disagreement. I want to direct a movie 100,000%. If it's executive, producer, direct, whatever it is, I want my name when the credits are either at the beginning or the end. I want to see my name right there. And then I want it to win every award possible. So maybe a Marvel movie in the, I don't know. Oh, as this director, Mac, what would your responsibilities be? I mean, I, I... even maybe I should have said write a movie. You know, I want to oh. be very involved. I, I want my vision, all of that. Yeah, you know, Hollywood. That's what they. That's my non-nickname that I just gave myself. Um, yeah, <laughs> but I just, I, I think it's because I'm a way bigger movie guy than book guy anyway. So it's just kind of natural. Like it would be boring for me to write a book. But I think in a sense, 
you're kind of writing a book when you're doing the movie stuff because yeah. you have to write a script and all that. But I think just more of the vision of it coming to life, that would be really fun for me. So if there's anyone listening who's in Hollywood or does movie stuff or book stuff, please contact Kelly and I's agent. Uh, <laughs> it is each other. So just reach out and we'll we'll figure that out. <laughs> See, you picked the smart one too, Matt, because you'll probably make a lot more money off that movie than I would off of whatever know. book I'm writing. Yeah, you know, books live forever, kind of come back. So you, you never know. You never know. <laughs> this, this was a great question, Mac. Well done. Well done. Our podcast today is produced by Richmond Weaver, who does an excellent job. Go check out his podcast, Rich Take on Sports. He actually had John Gordon on his podcast as well a little while ago. So check that out. Um, Go read John Gordon's books, as we've said, even though Mac thinks books are boring. I would say go read them. (laughs) Not John's books. Not John's books. (laughs) But check that out. Guys, this is another episode of Gramlich and Mac Lane. We always appreciate you guys listening. If you haven't already, go to iTunes, subscribe to our podcast, drop us a little five-star rating, or write us a review. It's so fun to hear from you guys. But until next time, we'll see y'all. 